Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org match to maximize your gift today. Welcome to Florida Matters More, the podcast for Florida Matters, WUSF public media show about the issues and events that Floridians care about. I'm Robin Sussingham, host of Florida Matters. You can hear Florida Matters Tuesday evenings at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 7.30 on WUSF 89.7, streaming on WUSFnews.org. This week on Florida Matters, it's our Reporters Roundtable. Coming up, a conversation with Steve Contorno with the Tampa Bay Times and Janelle Irwin with the Tampa Bay Business Journal. Support for Florida Matters More comes from the National Foundation for Transplants. Right now, hundreds of Tampa residents need an organ transplant they can't afford. You can join the National Foundation for Transplants Operation Second Chance at transplants.org to learn how to help give someone a second chance at life. Steve Contorno and Janelle Irwin, thank you so much for being here. No problem. Thank you. Thank you. So Tampa Mayor Bob Buckhorn and St. Petersburg Mayor Rick Kreisman have denounced negative campaign ads about Gwen Graham. They do not like those at all, um, which I believe have been connected in the past to the Andrew Gillum campaign. Um, Steve? Yeah, there's been some bad blood between the Gillum campaign and Gwen Graham campaign, and it's been a relatively cordial uh, primary otherwise. Uh, but uh, Andrew Gillum, a lot of his support uh, is coming from out of state, and a lot of it's from uh, a group called The Collective, and it's uh, it's not necessarily always uh, clear where, you know who's behind the, the money there. Um, and he's also gotten a lot of money from George Soros. So there's a lot of his campaign money is coming from places that are outside the state and, and not from the most uh, transparent of, of resources. So uh, that's created some issues for him. And uh, some of the advertisements that, that's being run uh, negative of Gren Graham uh, have been tied to groups that also don't have to disclose their donors. Uh, and so Gren Graham has been finding people across the state, Democrats, uh, not necessarily to come out in an endorsement for her, because I don't think Bob Buckhorn has, but to, to sort of wag a finger at, at some of the advertising that they say is is unbecoming of, uh, of the party and, and doesn't help us try to win in November. I thought it was really interesting because um, it's almost like saying we've already we've already crowned Gwen Graham. She's the front runner. We don't want anybody messing this up. I mean, I, I don't think we see anything like that on the Republican side. Nobody's expected to, uh, nobody is expecting that the candidates won't do attack ads on each other. No, and it's becoming sort of an all-out food fight on the Republican side at this point <laughs> as we head towards uh, August. Uh, but yeah, the Democrats, I think there's been such a history of the Democrats, uh, for lack of a better word, being incompetent at the statewide party level and not necessarily fielding the, the strongest uh, group of candidates. So I think for once for them to have five candidates who uh, have a relatively interesting backgrounds, uh, certainly some public sector experience, some interesting private sector experience, uh, they were hoping that they could sort of 
just have a, a kumbaya into into August and then may the best man win. And but how does that happen in politics? <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> and especially when, you know, Gwen Graham and, and, and she's, you know, a millionaire herself and there's millionaires and billionaires in the race. And, and Andrew Gillum has said, I'm the only non-millionaire. I'm the only one who's He's got the who, mayor of Tallahassee. Tallahassee. He has more humble roots than I think the rest of the uh, field. So the only African-American in the group. And, and he's 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 got a lot of the progressive mm-hmm. Bernie Sanders wing of the party behind him. He also has an FBI investigation into his administration hanging over his head as well. Right. Um, so, it, it, you know, he might be poking the bear a little bit by going after Graham on some of these uh, some of her issues. And why Graham? Because he's in like fourth place, I think, Andrew Gillum. So he well, could go after anybody. I think what's interesting here, and you mentioned Bernie Sanders, is I think the analogy to be made here is Gwen Graham is the Hillary Clinton of this primary and Andrew Gillum is the Bernie Sanders. And what I find fascinating is the Republican Party seems to have embraced this idea of shedding the whole establishment politics mentality that's been around for as long as it has. And and you've seen them kind of their base is now forcing the issue of having these more populist type of candidates, Um, whereas the Democratic Party seems to still be insisting that we stick with the Hillary Clintons and Gwen Grahams of the world. So that's what I think is really fascinating in this, is watching one party react and the other party just steadfastly saying no. And you're seeing progressives get pretty ticked about it. They're not happy. They're like, stop trying to ram your preordained golden candidates down our throat and just let us pick somebody that stands for our shifting values. And, and there's this, I mean, you don't even have to look as far away as a national race as Hillary Clinton. You could even just look at Alex Sink and yep. very similar mold uh, as Gwen Graham. You know, I think Gwen Graham, I think, would like to say she has more personality and, and uh, on the campaign trail. And both their cases that they're making are that they uh, can win the middle. Uh, you know, Alex Sink, she she won a statewide race for 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 uh, CFO, which you know for a Democrat was very difficult to do. So she had the case that she could win win the middle. And Gwen Graham, she won in, as a Democrat in a, in a pretty centrist district. Uh, Where is she? Is she in the Jacksonville Jacksonville, Jacksonville area? Yeah. Or, yeah. Um, but she's from I think she's from South Florida originally. Obviously, spent some time in Tallahassee when her father was mm-hmm. the governor, and also I think she worked for the school district there. Uh, but she ran in a, a, a Jacksonville area district that was, I think, Republican leaning. She has the name. She has the name. But I mean, what, how many with so many transplants coming into the state? How much does the Graham name mean? Well, when you see Bob Graham on, you know, road signs, <laughs> it might stick in your head. But it's also like a pretty common name. So, yeah. And then second place, Philip Levine is still. Well, how close are they? Is Phil, Philip Levine for a while seemed like a real contender? Yeah. Philip Levine was surging. Definitely. I mean, he's got a lot of advertising behind him. He's a Miami businessman. Correct. Mm-hmm. And, and unfortunately for him, there's another South Florida businessman who entered the race. And even Jeff richer, Green, I think. Even richer. <laughs> uh, even, you know, more of a character. Uh, and so I think... There's some people who believe that Jeff Green's entrance has bit right into Philip Levine's support, but there is so little difference in their polling numbers. I mean, we're talking, you know, there's a huge gap building between DeSantis and Putnam in a two-person race. In a five-person field, it's a few percentage points here here and there, and there's still 25% undecided. And how that 25% falls could boost Levine past the finish line over Graham or could just, you know, Graham could run away from it. It's it's really hard to see how this is going to end up. And the polling in a primary, in in a state race, is, is really hard to hang your hat on. So, Janelle, you do a lot of reporting on transportation issues and politics. So I'm just wondering if I'm there's... I'm all over the place. You, I'm, well, <laughs> I'm wondering if there's any overlap there. Is there any... 
Is transit, is that an issue yes. in politics at all right now? Oh, it, yes, 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 yes. And always statewide? has been, always will be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there are... There are so many overlaps, and it's why transportation in a small newsroom where you can't have one person with one specific beat tends to become this kind of integrated in with a political beat because it's steeped in politics. And what we're looking at is, um, first of all, with the governor's race, um, transit activists want to see somebody who's willing to put money behind transit. And typically, that's going to be the Democratic candidate. And then at the at the state level with the legislature, there has been a longstanding tact that you know we don't want to we don't want to raise taxes to fund transportation or transit. You know, be lean, work within the budgets that you already have. So again, that's something that changing the makeup of the legislature to have can't to have elected officials who are willing to put some more money into things is a priority for transit activists. And then there's another interesting thing that happens that's happening right now with the 41 mile BRT plan. Bus the, rapid transit. Sorry, there I go with the alphabet soup. <laughs> I just I called Steve out a few minutes ago and now I'm doing it myself. The um, fast bus. The fast, yeah. the speedy quick bus. Mm-hmm. Um, that would require um, federal matching grants. Uh, And when you have that happen, you have federal, state, and local obligations. So the state has to have the political will to pony up its 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 portion of that money, which we're looking at about five hundred million dollars. So we're in a prime position to make that happen because leadership in Tallahassee over the next three years, uh, it's in terms of Speaker of the House and Senate presidents are all lined up to be Tampa Bay from the Tampa Bay region. So that's it gives a great political opportunity. So uh, transit activists, even if they don't necessarily like that those people are all Republicans, um, they might want to keep them around because of their leadership roles and they will likely get behind this project. Interesting. Just, and to build on you know what Janelle said, if you don't think politics uh, and transportation is overlapped. Look at how rail has just been, you know, at the statewide level. Rick Scott, you know, may have won the- rail? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Rick Scott may have, you know, one of the things he may have won his race on was the promise to kill the the high-speed rail uh, in 2010 when he came in as governor, which he did. And now, you know, just as Democrats are trying to revive that vote against him, suddenly he announces there's a rail between Tampa and Orlando (laughs) that's uh, on the horizon. Well, and how good for him is that in his Senate race that his whole reason behind that was, I don't want to use taxpayer funds to subsidize this because it will eventually require a subsidy, which it's it's pretty much consensus that transit requires a public subsidy. Uh, and now the the plan that's in the works right now is for Brightline, which is already operating high-speed rail in South Florida, to create a connection in that same I-4 corridor between Tampa and Orlando, but it's exclusively privately funded. There is no taxpayer subsidy required. And that's what he said. He was like, let the private sector come in and do this. So he gets to stand in the corner and go, rah, rah, I was right. But but it is consistent. But I think there there will end up being a a cost to taxpayers ultimately on that. And it may be not in the same Mm-hmm. And the same scope as as it, but you know there are right of ways that it's be acquired, yep. and 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 I think even the one the ones that are operating in South Florida already do have a, a taxpayer component to it. Plus, 
if it's subsidized, then you know the cost to consumer to use it is going to be less. Whereas they're going to be able to charge whatever you know rate that they deem you know the market says, and that's going mm-hmm. to end up being coming out of you know your pocket that one way or another. Well, and you're going to wind up. I think what you're going to wind up seeing with a private service is something that is not really transit. Um, it's it's more like you know airplanes, airport to airport, exactly. Yeah. Because you Tampa airport to Disney World, you're not going to have the people who traditionally ride the bus because it's more affordable. They're not going to be able to get on this because it's going to be outside of their price range. This is, and they're designing it for the working class businessman, guys in suits types of people who are willing to pay more for a better riding experience than hopping on a bus that still has a stigma, even in 2018, as being icky. Yeah. Well, this would be more of like a high speed rail then, is what you're talking exactly. about. Exactly. About, it would not take about light an hour. Rail. Yeah, there's been obviously a lot of talk about how this has the potential to alleviate congestion along the I-4 corridor, which is, you know, anyone who travels it knows what a mess that is. But um, whether or not, you know, I've seen other places where rail lines create new development along the line and it it just, you know, continues to build congestion along it. And then if it is just a sort of Tampa to Orlando high speed with few stops in the way, how much is that really going to alleviate any of the congestion that's on I-4? One of the things that comes up is for the ability uh, of this to create a super region where you have people, right now you have the Tampa Bay region and many of us commute between counties for work. I'm one of them. I know you're one of them. Uh, And um, all of a sudden now you throw Orlando into the mix. It now becomes conceivable to have somebody be able to go between the two. You're in a, you're in a, vehicle that you don't have to operate so you're able to work on that commute so you know that's there is some real economic development potential there there's also it's not just between orlando and tampa this is something that is going to connect as one giant route um, that will go all the way from south florida up the treasure coast tampa and orlando so it's a whole thing so it's not just going to be getting to orlando it's also going to be you can get down to miami in a couple in a couple of hours rather than driving. So there's there's a lot to it. It'll be interesting if Hillsborough's transportation initiative passes and if this high-speed rail between Tampa and Orlando does pass. You know, Pinellas and Polk don't want to be left out. Are they going to have to raise their ta- – are they going to have to meet what Hillsborough is putting in to really make this a regional network and not just be the end of the line is is at the Tampa airport? I mean, there's the, there's the desire to do that, but the funding is just simply not there. And that's going to be – I did – like two years ago, I, I did a cover story in our paper. The whole premise of it was that there, the whole conversation is just stagnant. Nothing is happening. There's no movement. Um, you know, there's just – The political will in Pinellas in 2014 was there. You had a bipartisan coalition of elected leaders who were almost all on board. There were very few people who were not on board. And, um, you know, it it wasn't enough. The voters still said no. And usually when you have that much consensus among your elected officials, the voting public is going to fall in line. And that simply didn't happen. And it really is indicative of this decades-long problem that's not getting any better. And it kind of makes you a little doom and gloom, like... Is it really well, ever poli- going to happen? And if the politician, maybe that's the ch- turning point now, is because the political, the the pushback against politicians of any uh, stripe, you know, Republicans mm-hmm. or Democrats, you know, there isn't that 
there's such an animosity towards anyone who who, who dons that label that perhaps because this is coming from uh, a, a voter initiated referendum that it won't it won't be tainted in that kind of uh, respect. That was Steve Contorno, a reporter for the Tampa Bay Times, and Janelle Irwin with the Tampa Bay Business Journal. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Thanks. It was fun. Thank you for joining us. Listen to Florida Matters Tuesdays at 6.30 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 7.30 on WUSF 89.7, online at WUSF.org. I'm Robin Sussingham. Come back next week for another episode of Florida Matters More, and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher.